Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. This is Hugh Ballou, and my guest today is a dear friend that um, I have known for less than a year because I've been in Lynchburg, Virginia for less than a year. But one of the first people I met was at my Rotary breakfast lunch, and it was Bill Bodine. That's right. And um, there was an organization that's now known as the uh, Community Foundation, Greater Lynchburg Community Foundation. That's right. Yeah, so Bill Bodine, welcome to the nonprofit. Thanks, you. Glad to be here. Appreciate it. And there's people out there in the world that will watch this on video and then listen to the podcast. Good. I like to start out these sessions by asking my guests to tell us about themselves, your journey, and how did you end up doing this really important work that you do? Well, mostly dumb luck, Hugh, but um, I, uh, I'm originally from New Jersey, and I ended up in Lynchburg via Lynchburg College, which in two weeks will be the University of Lynchburg. And um, I just uh, didn't necessarily intend to stay, but the, I, I got a job working in healthcare right out of college. And the longer I was here, the more I liked it. So I've been a resident of Lynchburg now for about 40 years. 40? Yeah. Yeah. I know I don't look nearly that old. Oh, you don't. It's it's true. It's true. Yeah. So, um, and as far as getting into fundraising, I, um, I spent most of my career in healthcare, but I was really looking for something that I could be more excited about and, and feel like I was making a real difference in helping the community. I'd served on several different boards. And so it was important to me to find something um, that, w- that was more service oriented. And I luckily saw that the, at the time, the Greater Lynchburg Community Trust was looking for a president and CEO because my predecessor was retiring. And so I went after the job and Three years ago, they gave it to me, and so I've I've loved that, and uh, it's been a little bit of a circuitous journey, but I've finally figured out what I want to be when I grow up. So, oh, good. I didn't think men ever wanted to grow up. Well, I, I don't know that I ever will, but but at least I figured out what I, what I want to do. So, uh, it's just been really enjoyable, and I like it a lot. And you and I um, both drive convertibles. We do, we do. I've got a little um, Miata that uh, that I try not to get in trouble with. I'm not driving it today because it's too darn hot to have the top down today. 97 in Lynchburg today? I know, it's crazy. So, uh, But uh, next time it cools down, I'll be out of it. You probably had the remarks about, oh, it's a midlife crisis. Yeah, well, that would be true if I were in midlife. It it may may be a late-life crisis, (laughs) more accurately. But but anyway, it's just I've always enjoyed driving cars, and it's a fun one to drive. And I know your Mustang's a lot of fun. It is fun, and it's fun to go slow, isn't it? Yeah, it's fine. I'm not in a hurry. I just enjoy the journey. Well, it takes getting some age on you. Also, the wisdom of leadership uh, is impacted with our journey and our age. And so you came into this leadership position. Mm-hmm. I don't think by dumb luck, I think people looked at you and said, oh, this guy can do it. And from what I've heard from people, you've stepped up to that plate. Well, I feel like things are going well. And I think I think the things that I bring to it are um, are that I really enjoy people. I enjoy talking with people. I have a passion for the mission of the organization. And if you have that, you're more than halfway towards doing what you really need to do. So I've got a great story to tell, and I enjoy telling it. And, and 
you know, people are willing to listen. And that's, that's been nice. So what does leadership mean? I mean you lead an organization that leads and supports leaders of organizations. Mm -hmm. And there's no, there's no real membership. Is there for the community foundation? Is no, there? There, there, there's no membership. No. Um, it's just, I, I mean, my leadership stems from the fact that we touched 175 uh, nonprofit organizations last year alone in terms of providing grant money. And so I get to interact with a lot of other leaders and I try to help them, you know, fine tune their grant application process and also try to pay attention to what are the needs of the community and who are the people that are meeting those needs and, you know, how can we work together and how can we best serve them? So the leadership part of it stems largely from being in a, in a chair that, that touches a lot of other leaders in terms of the grants and, and trying to, to make this a better community in any way we can. Um, so that's just a, sort of a byproduct of the job, but, but I enjoy that too. I picked up something there. You, you just revealed our topic today, grants and how to do a better job of applying for grants. Now, I just, you slipped in something there. I'm going to pull it out. Go ahead. You work with people so they do a better job. So what is, people just don't know how to apply for grants mostly. Well, I mean, it's, it's all over the board, Hugh. You know, some people are really good at it and have a lot of experience in doing it. And, and quite honestly, some of the smaller nonprofits that we work with, that's not what people are trained to do or have done or have a lot of time to do, you know, because a lot of the smaller nonprofits are um, making things work with as few staff as they can and, and as little resources as they can. So uh, what I've found is that it's helpful to work with people and speak with them about um, fine tuning their grant. And what I want to do is give them the most, the best opportunity for success because our foundation is not there to hold on to money. Our foundation is there to, to give that money away according to our donors wishes. Mm -hmm. And the better job I can do helping people access those funds means I do a better job for our donors. And that, that's really what it's about. That's amazing. And, and I don't think everybody understands that. So this is, this is a good uh, point to make. Maybe and I have I posted on the, the webpage some of the questions that we're going to address uh, that came from you because you know what you're talking about. So I'll, Maybe. I'll, yeah. <laughs> it depends on who you talk to. <laughs> yeah. when, in part of my career, you know, I served mega churches, and yeah. I, I was in, in the interview process for the five biggest Presbyterian churches at the same time. Yeah. Nobody knew what questions to ask. Yeah. That was amazing. Yeah. So I pretty much had to provide my own questions. Yeah. Well, I mean, it helps things go smoother if we have an idea of what, what we're going to talk about, right? Or so we that's get good. to the bottom line. Yeah. What is it we need to know about this? So let's just start at the top. Okay. If, if I'm going to make a grant request. Now, I run a 501c3. It's a foundation. I give away services. Okay. I don't give away money. Sure. I can help people leverage what they have and attract money. So part of my work could conceivably be conceivably be preparing people to do this process. Mm -hmm. And what I tell my nonprofits is that funders are going to look at the impact of your work. What results will it create? I want to check my accuracy. Mm -hmm. They're going to look, you know, if we give you this money, what results will it produce? They're also going to look at your team. Can you really implement it? Yeah. So are those, those factors that are high? Those are, those are, those are the big deal. That's the real meat and potatoes of it. Mm -hmm. But you could actually, Hugh, go back to, you know, sort of a baseline. One of the first things I would tell people is if you're going to apply for, uh, for a grant, make sure you review what exactly the grantor is looking for in terms of information. 
it surprises me occasionally how many applications we get that are incomplete mm -hmm. because people haven't thoroughly read what it is we're asking for. Mm -hmm. We get grant applications that come in without a list of the board of directors, which is one of the things we ask for. So I, I would just encourage people at, at the very baseline of it, read very carefully um, what the requirements are for the grant application. Make sure you include all that information. That seems really basic and elementary, but but it surprises me how many of them we get that aren't aren't fully complete. So first and foremost, make sure you understand what that grantor is looking for and what their requirements are in, in applying for that grant, and make sure it's complete. Because um, you know it's a little bit like when you when you write your resume, make sure you spell things correctly, and you know just because first impressions are are important. Um, so that that's maybe the first step. But but you're absolutely right. Um, you know, we like to know what, you know, first of all, what do you want the money for? And how is that going to help my community be a better place? How is that going to satisfy the wishes of the donors who have given us the money in the first place? Um, because really, first and foremost, I, I am bound by their wishes mm -hmm. and their desires. And so my, my responsibility is to use the money that our donors have provided as wisely as possible and as closely to their various intents as possible. I'm gonna introduce you to somebody who got stuck on the, on the viewer side of this, who's my <laughs> co-host, and he's been, he's been AWOL here. Um, Russell David Dennis is joining us in this podcast from Denver, Colorado. <laughs> I thought maybe you were having technical difficulty today. He, um, Russell showed up a year and a half ago and was very consistent with this. And Russell's one of our wayfinders. It's our yeah. antidote to consultant. It's a wayfinder. Okay. Yeah. We guide you. Yeah. We don't tell you what to do. We help you define what right. you're going to do. Point us so, in the right direction. And yeah. Russell's been through the whole methodology of, of center vision, and he's one of our bona fide wayfinders. So he kept showing up, so I made him co-host. Good. And, and he, uh, you know, he outshines me many times. I like to say I pale yeah. in comparison, but he, I've used that line. Russell, welcome. You're, you're muted. Yes. Hi, I had Hi Russell. Greetings. I had to turn to my tablet. My computer has been loading updates all morning, and uh, it doesn't seem to want to finish. So. Well, welcome <laughs> well, to the party. I already warned him <laughs> that, that my co-host has, has the zingers of the question, so he's, he's braced for you. So, um, so we, um, um, I thought I had that turned off. I'm getting chats come across the screen. I saw you say, oh, I'm here. Uh, so, Russell, we're talking about grants today uh, and what makes a good grant request. So, so far, Bill has validated um, our premise that we need to have uh, worthy goals in terms of what difference will we make and people on board to do that. And so, Bill, people, maybe, maybe they do read the requirements. You think they just forget or they... They weren't careful. What's the, the when you when you go back? I, I guess you go back to people and ask them to resubmit. We do, we do. We review all the applications, and before we put them in front of our distribution committee, uh, we review them for completeness and accuracy and whatnot, and we try to track down questions that we know the committee might ask. But yeah, it's hard to know the reasons, Hugh, uh, why people don't always include everything. Sometimes they don't have the information, and sometimes they forget. Mm -hmm. And sometimes maybe they're just uh, flustered by the process and, and don't 
you know, don't think it through well enough. And, and wh whatever the reasons, again, you know, what we want to do is help people be as successful as possible. So I just throw that out there as step one, make sure you read the requirements and, and do your best to fulfill those. And if you have a question or problem, call us or call whoever you're applying to um, and ask for their help. Now, are there community foundations in every area in the country? You know, it's interesting, just about. Um, when, when the Greater Lynchburg Community Foundation was formed in 1972, there were probably about 30 community foundations nationally. Uh, we know from the Council on Foundations in Washington that in 1975, there were only 50. Hmm. And so we were formed in 72. There are now over 850. So they're all over the place now. And, you know, a community foundation is, is a little different. Well, it's a lot different in some ways from family foundations or corporate foundations. Often family foundations, corporate foundations, um, and things like that have more specific purposes. Ours is uh, probably more general than ours being community foundations generally. It have, we have more general purposes than a lot of other foundations. We, we kind of cover the waterfront. As I mentioned before, we gave grants to 175 nonprofits in Lynchburg and the four surrounding counties last year alone. So we will support um, basic human needs, the arts, historic preservation, um, the environment, uh, all, all kinds of things. And, and most foundations you'll find have a little bit narrower focus. And that's true for hospital foundations, um, the United Way, for example. Um, all, all of them do fantastic work, but our, our, our reach is a little broader. And then to some, for some people that appeals to them. Well, that fills in some gaps, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, and, and so, you know, we have a flexibility uh, that appeals to people. And, and the other thing is community foundations are intended to be forever. We're, we're perpetual. You know, the appeal that we have for people is that you can set up a fund with us, name it after your grandmother or whoever you want, and it will be here long after you're gone and probably after your children are gone, but it leaves a legacy. And, um, and that's one of the appeals to community foundations. That's, I found more and more people who are interested in the legacy component. Yeah. They're, they're the instigator. They start yeah. this thing, but they're not going to be around forever. Right. And we want to have impact that, it, that goes on after our lifetime. So there's a value in when, when they get money and endowment money that they can put it under management and you, mm -hmm. you, you assist with that. Yeah. Our purpose is to grow the fund mm -hmm. and to distribute monies annually or more often than that sometimes from that fund, but continue to grow it so that it, it continues to expand and it, and it lasts, you know, as long as the world lasts, you know, is the idea. And people like that. So I'm hearing some fundamental principles. Um, one, which we sort of talked around, is I think you said pick up the phone and call me. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think people do that, that are applying for grants. And maybe not all foundations are equally as accessible as you are. Well, I, I don't know about that. I, I, you know, I haven't worked at other foundations and I've talked to some colleagues, but I think we're all you know, we're all here for generally the same purpose, which is to help people out and help the community and make it as seamless as possible. So I really love it when somebody calls me and says, hey, can I talk to you about this grant I'm thinking about, this proposal I'm thinking about, and can you help me fine tune it a little bit? And I do a lot of that um, because, again, we want people to be successful. So part of, part of our due diligence, and we represent 
and, and Russell worked uh, 11 years mm -hmm. for an Indian reservation and his, he, he did grants. So right. he, he comes in with another experience in the yeah. space. Yeah. Um, but part of our job is to do our, our due diligence. So the next question is learn about the grantor. So what's the purpose of the grant? Um, what are the requirements? Mm -hmm. Is what we want funded match up with what you want right, to fund? Right. And and spell the name right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, sure. And and you know we get applications that are for things that we just can't fulfill. For example, mm -hmm. uh, if an organization is renting a building, and they come to us and ask for renovations to that building, that's something we we really won't do because we don't pay for renovations to a building that's not owned by the organization because we only provide grant money to nonprofits and we don't, we don't want to improve a building for, for a landlord. We want to help that organization in, in whatever way we can. So, so I try to guide people not to do those kinds of things. We typically uh, don't like to pay operating costs such as uh, salaries. You know, we need to hire a new person and we need this for salary. Uh, we'd rather not do that. We'd rather put our donors' money toward programs, resources that go directly to help people, and that sort of thing. So, so again, that's part of the guidance I try to provide. I don't want people to waste their time or our time uh, with an application that I know is just not going to fly. One of the deficits we see often is that there's, there's an organization trying to fly by tradition, history, see their pants, without a strategy. Mm -hmm. And as you, oh, by the way, Russell, he's a fellow musician. He's, he's an actor musician. He's been in a professional production for the last couple of weeks. So he far exceeds my capabilities. <laughs> but we need, we need a map. You know, where, what are you seeing when? When do you go on stage? When do you go off stage? When do I raise the baton? When do the trumpets play? Right. And so it's, it's the way we think is there's a, there's a core map where we're going, how we're going to get there, mm -hmm. and what impact we're going to have. So that gives some substance to our thinking. So as people are looking at funding and there's a deficit, A, in leadership or lack of strategy, are those pieces uh, what we might call capacity building? Are there capacity building grants for them to up their game, so to speak? Yeah, there are. There, there certainly are. Um, and, you know, for example, uh, let's say somebody needs uh, new computer equipment. Well, that's something that we've helped people with before, but only if we understand what they're going to use that computer equipment for. If you just apply for grants says, I need new computers, you know, that's great. And we can assume a certain number of things, but I, what I'd really like to see is we need these computers because we're using these, we're going to put these in front of uh, school age children to get them more familiar with technology. And it's going to impact 80 kids and, you know, that kind of detail is very helpful. So, um, yeah, I mean, if it's capacity building, that's great. But, but what are you building that capacity for? for what's your plan? Mm -hmm. And and anything like that is is more helpful than than not having that information. So, Russell, you're um, you're here and smiling. I'm sure you have some reflections or some additional questions for Bill Bodine, our, our host. We're on the nonprofit exchange. If you just happen to come by Facebook. Uh, you can find us at thenonprofitexchange.org um, or the Nonprofit Exchange, wherever you get your podcast, you can find us. And we have Russell David Dennis. So you sat on the other side approaching grantors. So this, this stuff, I'm sure, rings true for you, does it not? 
Well, yes, it does. And I think one of the biggest mistakes people make is to contort what they're doing into the requirements of a funding source that they're not familiar with, no. uh, which results in mission creep. But to back up further than that, the number one reason that grant proposals are turned down is people don't follow instructions. You do that with a government grant. I sat on grant panels for three years. If they don't follow the instructions, we don't even read it. It goes on the pile. And uh, you know, I've seen some bad proposals. <laughs> so there, it may be a really good one, but because they didn't follow the instructions, there's a strategy to going about getting grants. And, and the first piece of that is making sure you're, you're talking to the right source. You know, you get these applications that don't fit what you're doing because people will sit and do a sort of a shotgun or, or an, uh, an M50 machine gun approach. Let's send this out to 150 foundations and see if it sticks somewhere. Yeah, like a one size all <laughs> kind of thing. And that, that's not, not good. And, and it doesn't work. And so there's a strategy in the process. And I sort of mind mapped that out a little bit. I need to build a course on that. I'm, I'm creating content. I've got a couple of courses up, but that's one I need to build. I'm working on one for donors too at the moment. And so there's a strategy, there's a process to going out to get them. And everybody that sends you a grant proposal should be calling you on the phone to talk to you to just to get clear because the guidelines are out there. Uh, the instructions are out there. The requirements are out there. But when you take a few minutes to call, ask about some things and please do your homework, folks. You, you don't want to ask people questions about information that's already on the website. What you really want to do is kind of get a feel of what's going on between the lines. What, are there some things within this broad category that are really important to the foundation right now? Uh, what sort of things have they funded recently? Uh, talk a little bit about your project. I'm thinking about, does this fit sort of within what's important to you? And if so, what would be more of a fit? And you listen to that. Would it be all right if I send you a proposal based on what I'm thinking? Then you anchored yourself in the back. You, you can, I, just, can I isolate that data point just a second? What, what he just outlined there, mm. you know, it was a pre, pre requirement or exploratory conversation. Right. So what does that look like from where you said, I, and sorry to interrupt you, Russell, but I, I, that one I wanted to capture. That was, a, to me, that was a notable soundbite. Yeah. I mean, Russell and I are definitely on the same page here in terms of um, making sure that you, you follow the instructions, uh, but also what he said is really important about uh, knowing knowing who the grantor is and what resonates with them and what, what recent grants they've given. The other, the other piece, Russell, is what's a reasonable amount to ask for? You know, all these uh, foundations have different amounts that they're comfortable with providing. And, and quite honestly, with our mission, we gave away $1.7 million last year alone, but it went to 175 different nonprofits plus, and that includes uh, scholarship money for, high school students going to college. So um, the amount of money that we have is not as huge as many community foundations might be, and it gets spread out over a, a large number of agencies. So 
if somebody asks us for $100,000 today, that's really not something we can do without taking away from what we consider our other responsibilities. So I like to sort of give people an idea of what's a reasonable amount to ask for and what we can do. Um, and, and that tends to be helpful, I think, to people. So that's an important data piece. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, and that's what, what knowing your source is all about because you've got different foundations. Community foundations, which is sort of the original donor advised fund mm-hmm. because people have, have purposes. You know, it's always in the guidelines. You, you will see a range of funding that, that is awarded, you know. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's the type of thing. And this is why having that strategy is important because you break things down into the pieces, put them in sequence. What can you accomplish with that? And it's understanding how much you need, how much you have, how much you need. And it's really understanding all of these things. And here's the thing that, that I want to stress to any nonprofits out there that are listening here. It is every bit as difficult, if not more, to get this money into the hands of people who will make good use of it than it is to apply for it and get it. Because the community foundations, a lot of family foundations are running lean. They don't have all of the people and tools that they had once to try to give technical support to these nonprofits and they work with the community foundations are a blessing. They work with smaller organizations. So finding good projects is really difficult. You've got to put yourself in their shoes and understand that it's not just difficult for you to get the money. It's difficult for them to find projects to invest in, to make sure that money's making the impact that it's intended. Well, well, that's exactly right, Russell. And, you know, my, the, the biggest sense of responsibility I have is to always remember that it's not my money. You know, this is money that was provided to us by donors, corporations, individuals, families who, who have a dream. You know, they, they really have a desire to do something uh, important with that money. So I always have to remember that, I, you know, I need to find things that are worthy of those desires and that I'm fulfilling that responsibility because if I don't, I'm not only letting those people down, but I'm also possibly ruining future opportunities for additional contributions to the foundation to continue that purpose. So that's a, you know, that's a real responsibility that I feel strongly. While um, Russell's formulating his difficult question, I promise that you look at so so as we're you're looking at projects, um, is there any value for looking at um, a collaboration coming to you like two or three or four different entities saying we're going to do something together? How does that rate on your side? Yeah, very highly. I, I mean, again, getting back to that core value of trying to do the most good for the community that we possibly can with you know, what are ultimately limited resources. Anytime we can encourage collaboration, um, you know, what, one of the things we're in a good position to do in my spot is, is look for gaps in services and then look for overlap. And there's a lot, there's a lot of both, quite frankly. Um, And so trying to get some of the smaller nonprofits to talk to each other, it might be the people that are providing food or shelter or furniture or, whatever it is, um, or, or even arts organizations. How can we encourage collaboration? 
with the ultimate purpose being how can we get our dollars to work as efficiently as possible and to do the most good that the that those dollars can possibly do so yeah hugh that's a that's a vital point i mean you've hit on something really important we we've got to to try to encourage collaboration and and we've just sort of started to scratch that surface i think really um, maybe there's a place that Cinevision could, could, well, could play in facilitating I, some I, conversations. Yeah, I think so. I think we got to so. get Russell over from Denver over here to the Old Mountain. Well, if I, you know, if I lived in Denver, I'm not sure I'd ever leave there because that's a great place. But, but maybe we can get Russell to come because Lynchburg's great too. Russell. Yeah. All right. Well, especially well, I have to come out there and, and, and see what's happening. Yeah, yeah, I've got yeah, some friends yeah. out in Virginia Beach, and I've got excuses to come over and, and just poke around and have some fun. Good. So, you know, the, the challenge that, that you talked about, getting people to collaborate, is the sort of scarcity thing where the pie is only that big. And I'm not going to share my pie with anybody. <laughs> and it's trying to get people to break out of that way of thinking. And, and I, I, I think um, even something as simple as saying, you know, we encourage collaboration or projects that that uh, that involve collaboration between the number of entities that are different from what's out there will be given extra or special consideration so that maybe that sort of triggers something in people's minds to say, okay, let's talk to other people because there's there seems to be a lot of resistance to that. And I don't know why. Uh, more hands makes the work lighter, and yeah, and I, think, yeah. I think you're right. But I, I think we, I think we need to get at the sources of those feelings. You know, some people feel like it may be a control issue. I, I need to control this so that it'll go in the direction I can make sure that I want it to go in. Or uh, some of it is just not knowing who the other leaders out there are. You know, if we can identify those reasons, then we can appeal to those people based on whatever their sensitivity is, right? I mean, uh, you know, maybe there we can provide assurances and say, all right, look, you know, if we combine with this other group and they provide a service, you know, you, you can still run that. You can still be in charge of that. But let's see if we can't, you know, strengthen your organization by getting some help from over here or whatever the trigger point is. I think if we identify those, then we may have a chance to, you know, to approach it properly with a chance for success. Well, you could apply for one of the grants at Cinevision because you could say, hey, group, we want to we fund this project mm -hmm. and we're going to ask for Cinevision to group you together and have you come up with a plan to present to us, yeah. for which you've made nothing for, but it would be the work that we do yeah. facilitating people collaborating. Right. I, people and the carrot, the carrot for them is then, then these funds are available in terms of a grant or whatever it is. But yeah, you have to figure out just like, just like with donors, you know, what is their hot button? You know, what appeals to them? And, and, and when you hit resistance from people who, um, you know, maybe are, are not willing to collaborate, maybe they're just, you know, in that overused term of being in their own silos. I mean, that's the buzz phrase of the year, but, um, but there, that might be what it is. Um, but whatever it is, if we can figure out what that is and address that and give people a comfort level, then maybe we have a chance to to hook up some of these collaborations and, and do that. Well, it's, it's an exploratory conversation first. Let's get some knowledge. Mm -hmm. And I think, Russell, part of what I see 
I'm sure you have too, is people just don't understand how to collaborate, uh, how to get it started. And, you know, we think, we think uh, consensus and collaboration are the same as, uh, what's the other side? Uh, we got consensus or we got compromise. Compromise. Yeah, yeah which yeah. is lose-lose. Okay? So consensus is win-win. And collaboration is how we do consensus. You know, we mm -hmm. come to, together with common mind and common purpose. And actually, uh, we, we can make the dollars go further because yeah. we're, we're making lighter work for everybody. And sometimes it's just that people are just paddling as hard as they can. And they don't feel like they have time. I mean, you know, who wants to go to another meeting um, unless you're, you're sure that it's going to be extremely beneficial? So some of it is just battling that. Um, but whatever it is, we ought to be able to figure it out and address it. I think it's a big new wave of, of, of effectiveness here. Our, our initials, you know, people in business invest money for ROI. People right. invest money in nonprofits for ROL, return on life. Yeah. And how we get there is ROR, return yeah. on relationship. Yeah. And what you're talking about, Russell's talking about, is let's develop a relationship with the funder so we know that we're in sync and we understand what your purposes are. Right. I, I smile, Russell was smiling when you're talking about the intent of the donor. He comes at that often. You know, if we ask people why they want to serve on the board or what they yeah. want to happen with their money, right. you know, we don't really go there because we don't think about it. Yeah. And so really, how do we understand the, uh, the intent of, of, of the donor? So, Russell, um, you had some time. Well, come back to, 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 to Bill here with a good, good, goodly framed question. <laughs> Sorry to ask him what's wrong. Couldn't get out of it. <laughs> Sometimes you need to dig ourselves a little See, that's when I left the IRS. People started thinking I'm this horrible, scary guy, and that's just not true. <laughs> that's right. And, you know, he was trying to turn me into this evil quiz master that's just going to send the guests running for the exit. That, that's not the truth. <laughs> you know, so, you know, on the, and you talked about it, it getting the money into programs. And um, I think that a lot of this scarcity thinking is really centered around the fact that for some nonprofits, because they don't have a diverse funding set, that they're worried about how are we actually going to keep the lights on? How are we going to pay the bills? That eats up a lot of our resources. Uh, how much of that do you think is a factor in people not collaborating? You know, I, it's hard to it's it's hard to quantify it, Russell. That's a great question. It, it is a factor. I mean, I, I know. I think we can safely say it's a big factor. Now, whether that's you know what percentage that represents, I, I would have a hard time putting my fingers on. But um, yeah, I think that's you know, that's part of the job is, is trying to make sure that um, you're helping people take care of those basic, those basic needs um, so that they feel more available or open to, to diving deeper into this stuff. Uh, and that's, yeah, I don't know if that really answers your question, but I, I think you've identified a big factor and, and how to quantify that. I'm, I'm not sure. And it's, of course, in different organizations, it's it, it varies widely, I would guess, I would say. Yeah, I think that kind of falls in line with the whole air, airline safety theory of putting your own mask on first. And uh, people really feel that they would actually be taking something away from themselves to collaborate 
when in fact they might they might find some extra resources for, for programs and this is the motivation for trying to find other ways uh there are, you know we we lived and died by the grant i mean we did have some private donors and some other sources but uh, when I was working for the tribe, we spent a whole lot of time focusing on, on grants as opposed to any other sources of revenue. And we did try to start uh, some businesses that there were people that were, were looking at a lot of snake oil out there. Yeah. So you have to keep your eyes open. But that diversity of funding sources is important. And building relationships with the donors is, is, is critical. And that money generally has more flexibility on the bottom end. When you start getting into top end of donors, they're usually a little bit more focused with what they want to see happen with that money. But yeah, it, it's it's really trying to get other sources of revenue in the door that are more flexible, so that you know the the grants are for programs, and grants are not intended to keep you operating. They're there for special purpose to buy, to build things, test them, uh, and, and until you can make them sustainable. So I think that's another mistake folks make with grants. Well, that's a good topic. Go ahead. Yeah, and with the other comment I would make on that, Russell, you're exactly right. Um, the other thing is, you know, grants. We, we tell people that, you know, you can't put us, you know, in your financial or in your budget for next year and assume that you're going to get a grant every year. I mean, we evaluate, we have two grant cycles a year and we evaluate those separately every cycle. So, um, you know, you can't count on that grant income. I mean, if you're good at it, you, you maybe have a pretty good track record, but you know, you really have to develop other forms, other resources for funds that are that are steadier um, than, than that. Um, and I, I guess you found that with your work, uh, the Native American work. So when you when you review people, I guess they have to submit financials or nine ninety or something. Um, <clears throat> do you do. look for that alternate sources of funding as you're we evaluating do. it? Yeah, we do. We, you know it's one way you judge the strength of the organization. Do they have other sources of funds? I don't really want people to depend solely on us for their annual budget. Um, and now there are some smaller agencies that, that probably truth be known that they, they are very dependent on us, but uh, it's a stronger application if, if they can list other sources of funds or other programs that generate funds. Um, and that, that helps the application a lot. That's a good point. So there's a lot of there's a lot of data here that I think is helpful for any grant application. You know, look, understand what the grantor wants to achieve. Know know about them. Follow the directions. Um, be very clear on the impact of what the money is going to provide. Um, we also don't think. Here's another topic. We don't think about the administrative. Now, imagine a five thousand dollar grant would have less administrative requirements than a, a five hundred thousand dollar grant or a five million dollar grant. So, so there's some reporting back of how the money was utilized and what the results were. How important is that piece in requalifying? Well, it's really important. And, and quite honestly, there's, there's not really much difference for us because our grants generally run from a couple thousand dollars up to 25,000 or something. So we don't do half a million dollar grants. So um, the administrative requirements are essentially the same for all the grants we provide. 
And, and we, you know, we feel like, again, it's our responsibility to our donors to make sure that we're, um, we're evaluating, make, first of all, that the money was used for the purpose that it was stated and that it's, and also that there's the impact that was expected was achieved or nearly achieved or, you know, as, as well as could be done. And so we require, you know, written documentation of all that, uh, you know, within a year from receiving the grant so that we can, you know, have a record of that and show that the money was used for what our donors and we intended it to be used for and what, and what the agency said it was going to be used for. So yeah, that's a big deal to us. And I know there are foundations that struggle with that, that sort of validation that they'll go back later and find out that there have been some discrepancies or that the money wasn't used for what it was said it was going to be used for. And that, that's a big deal to us. So our, our requirements, whether you get $1,000 from us or, or $25,000 from us, you have to jump through the same hoops. Yeah. Well, if, if you're going to have a high-performance organization, you are tracking everything you do. This is, this is strategy as we lay it out at Cinevision. You're tracking everything you're doing. And so this is just us. Uh, it should not really be a stretch to, to reach out to your funding sources and say, this is what we did because you built the frame, you got the strategy, you're tracking what you're doing and you're, you're getting it out there. Now, sometimes things don't go well. People don't want to be transparent. Uh, I went to uh, my mastermind group for a network that I have out here. I put some stuff on the table and uh, I've got a lot of suggestions that were helpful. And, uh, you know, some of the stuff was very basic, but it's the transparency. And now these folks can help me more than they were able to help me when I walked into the door this morning. So the transparency is important. Hey, sometimes things don't go as well as they're planned, but we need to be in constant contact and transparent so that we can right the ship and get it back on track. And a lot of foundations just don't have the resources to track because they have to, you guys have to review everything that you get back too to make sure that that uh, project is on track. And so uh, if you're effective, you're doing that. And so in structuring these programs, getting back to strategy piece and building things out, you want to create some systems that will capture all the information that you need, but they're easy to understand, access, and use by the people that are running the programs. Because if the evaluation tools are too hard, people will not use anything if it's hard to implement. It's got to be simple. It's got to be something that flows in line with their work. So that as these programs are run, they're easy to track. You're collecting that data as it goes along. And it doesn't come a, uh, become a stretch at the end of the quarter, the end of the year. You're scrambling to do all of these reports. Been there, done it. That's how I know. <laughs> if you got these things as part of your process, you, you can just roll this stuff out because you're tracking it all the time. So part of, part of what he referred to is we teach people when you have a strategy, you have milestones. Mm -hmm. you know, here's, here's what you're going to, mm -hmm. this is your success. You've mm -hmm. reached this, but then the milestone, you've got a budget over here where you're paying a dollar. Where does it relate to right. achieving your milestone? Right. So there's a redundancy of the budget. So we find a lot of uh, organizations don't really have any way to track things because they haven't put a system in place. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of the Covey principle. Um, as you were talking, Russell, 
um, begin with the end in mind. You're going to have to do a report. So right. let's think backwards. What do we need to create now so that it's not a big deal? Right. So the question to you is, do you have pamphlets or educational material or trainings for people to master some of these skills they may not have? You know, the, the answer to that is, no, we really don't. I mean, that's not something that we've seen as our role up to now. Um, I think it's something we ought to consider. Um, what, what we've tried to do is, as Russell was saying, make it as easy for people as possible. You know, three years ago, we required paper copies of all applications, 10 copies. So you'd get a stack of paper a foot tall from this, you know, small little agency that was, you know, I mean, it was just, and not only that, but all the trees we were killing. So we've brought the process online. It's on our website. And while you're there, you can, you can look at all the grants we made last year and see who we granted to and how much and for what purpose. And, you know, you, you try to make that all as simple as possible and with as few clicks as possible and, and, and try to help people. But, but to your point, Hugh, I, I think, you know, maybe that's one of the next steps is, you know, can we, well, and, and I really see organizations like yours as being at the forefront of helping people gain the tools they need to be successful. I don't know that with, you know, with the staff I have, which is, is me, another full-time person and a two day a week accountant, um, that we can provide a lot of those resources, but there are good people out here like yourself that, that could do that. And we, you know, we'd certainly be interested in helping out. We might, well, sure. We might have something we could, um, you know, provide for you there. Mm-hmm. So Russell, that was a good a good point that you opened up there. What else are you stirring up in that no hair head of yours? <laughs> well, actually, the, the hair is starting. It's to a good one. It's a good one. I, and I'm not going to make any comments about hair. Yeah, yeah, I think it's starting to come in. I'm going to have right, to. I'm right behind you. He's I'm right hair. behind you, Russell. <laughs> I'm going to have to take a razor to it because when it comes in, it's pretty gray. So uh, I promised myself after I recovered from chemotherapy six years ago that it, no Grecian formula. I'm going to remind myself that I'm on blessed time and I've got some extra days and, and I'm going to wear it proudly. And, and so, yeah, I, that's, that's part of the piece uh, for nonprofits to grow. A lot of them don't have the budgets and it's development. And that's something community foundations, uh, Denver foundation will provide technical support to grantees. They've already who who people who've been granted some funds, but they don't you you spread too thin to have the resources to do that. So I mean, the partnerships between entities like Center Vision and my company and community foundations make sense to go in talk to people, make sure you know get them the help, get them the training they need, find a way to provide that, and doing that for a community foundation, you touch a lot of entities. Uh, because they have uh, any, you know, I don't know how many uh, organizations you have. Uh, Denver Foundation probably has somewhere around two, three hundred organizations that are grantees and members. And, uh, so that's a pretty it's common size. But to be able to talk with people about these sort of things and to help them with that and to, to provide that sort of technical assistance that you hadn't been able to to uh, to provide, you know, it's still it's still good stewardship. It's about good stewardship. It's about protecting those investments, and so that's something that benefits the grantees, benefits the foundation, 
Uh, and it's really about going out and making that impact and, and supporting one another. So uh, maybe something like a mastermind group within the foundation. I know you, from time to time, uh, some of our community foundations have put on a training event. And, but, you know, a mastermind, I just left a, bit, a mastermind for my business. Uh, is that something that you've thought about? Uh, with uh, with some of the folks you work with, is maybe creating a mastermind group. What about Adiola first hand? Yeah, I mean that's something that Hugh and I have had conversations about. I I don't you know that's not something that I've really envisioned our foundation doing. But I think again, you know, in collaboration with with people like you guys and and maybe others, that that that's something that we could you know work towards. I think it's a great idea. I think probably having a conversation with people about the gaps, um, they're going to discover something. We're going to discover other, another layer of what they think they need, but what they really need. Yeah. And sometimes when we think we, the problem with blind spots is you can't see them. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like your hair, Russell, but you know, I'm glad it's coming in great because you've earned every one of them. <laughs> As have I. Yeah, all of them. So, so um, are there any other um, pitfalls that we've not identified in this conversation for people who are applying? You know, I think we've touched on the, the ones that I can really think of. Just, you know, make sure you ask for the right kind of things. Make sure you ask for the, the right amount of money based on what you've been able to find out about the foundation or whoever you're applying to. Um, you know, make sure your application is complete and according to the requirements as specified by the grantor. We've touched on all those things. Those are the key things, Hugh. Um, you know, oh, the, the other thing I, I would just mention is, um, you know, follow-up. Um, you know, the, the grant process doesn't end when you get that phone call or that letter that says, congratulations, you've been granted thus and such amount of money or, or the phone call that you might get that tells you that. Um, you know, it's, it's a good idea to make sure that you thank the organization, uh, that you show a level of gratitude. I mean, we all like to feel like it's appreciated and that can only help. And particularly um, in, in a community like ours where, where most, most of these organizations will apply regularly. Um, but what you want is to be looked upon favorably as someone who's A, been a good steward of that money and B, has appreciated um, getting it in the first place, um, and that and that we we develop a relationship where we know who you are and what you're doing and why you're a good outfit and and uh, and good people doing good work. That's a fundamental principle. I'm so surprised that people don't honor. Well, and, you know, some people are really good at it, and 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 but but not everybody. And the ones that are good at it might be in the minority, surprisingly. But but that's you know that's an important piece. I mean, we all like to like to be thanked and to to have it known that that what was done is appreciated and that you you take it seriously. And um, so that, you know, I would just encourage um, the grantees to make sure they do that. Well, it being an attitude, uh, attitude of gratitude, as right. the saying goes, but right. really, and I'm thinking back over the uh, in-kind grants that I've done, mm -hmm. you know, in my symposium, you, you had a poor excuse, you couldn't come in a board meeting. I mean, come yeah, on, come on. How lame can you get? I don't know. But but um, I did, people applied for a grant for that, even though it was $40. Mm -hmm. 
and they got it. <laughs> and only one, and the, the, I had student scholarships that the yeah. university had, had funded. Sure. But they were, they were just very grateful. But I had some mm -hmm. other small community leaders who just didn't have any money that I granted. And I had one of them say thank you. Yeah. One. Yeah. It's, it's a, a bit of a lost art. <laughs> it is a you know, <laughs> the, like conversation. <laughs> yeah, yes, to some degree. Yeah. So we're going to give you the last word here. We're coming close to the top of the hour. We try not to go over because uh, you know some people sign off about that okay. if they haven't already. Yeah. Um, but this has been very helpful information. I'm taking notes here. This is this is stuff that's really good. Wouldn't you agree? Okay, he's not. Uh, so thank we, you. Uh, we have sponsors to honor who make our work possible. We do a whole lot of work, and if you look at our 990, there's very little money, because I leverage, I'm a Scottish Presbyterian recovery. Emphasis on Scottish, but you know, um, like you said, money doesn't provide the answers, but we do make a whole lot happen, because we have people that support us in in-kind and small amount of cash. But one of our, our very active sponsors for going on four years now is Word Sprint. It's Sprint, like in fast, wordsprint.com. Word Sprint prints our magazine. You've seen mm -hmm. the magazine. Yes. WordSprint helps you maintain your donor base. And if you look at the statistics, your primary funding base are those donors who give little to a lot of money who are passionate about your work. And we don't tell them thank you enough. Mm -hmm. We don't tell them what's happening with the money that they gave us. All they do is get a letter from us next year for the next year's donation. So Bill's genius in his two decades of research is that there's, there's a formula, 30% is the message. What are we telling people? We're not asking for money, we're telling them what's happened because of their donation. That's 30%. 30% is the right person. Know that you're talking to the person and what they've done. So it's the right person with the right message mm -hmm. and the right rhythm. You don't wait a year. You have this regular mailing and it could even be quarterly. Uh, monthly is good, but you send them something in the mail. They can hold it in their hand, a postcard, a pamphlet, uh, a booklet. You send them something that says, Here's what we're accomplishing. So it's, it's this relationship building. And then 10% of it is the appearance. We don't spend a lot of money making it look fancy because it has a negative impact on donations. That's so right. that formula, Bill, Bill Gilmer and his team have worked out, and they do massive mailings for nonprofits all over the country, universities, mm -hmm. uh, all kinds of organizations. And they're very good at it. They print and mail our magazine. They help us stay in touch with our tribe so that we continue that relationship <clears throat> of discussing the value. What's the impact we're having? And we have funders that helped us launch our symposiums. And we've, we've touched 750 nonprofits around the country in two years in person, mm -hmm. not mentioning all the ones we touch virtually with all the other programs. Right, right. So wordsprint.com, go there, learn about their program, ask for a free consultation. Even if you don't use them, you'll learn something. And look on the nonprofit exchange for the interview with Bill Gilmer because he tells you about all these important things. So it's the thank you thing, but it's also the value. This is the value we're able to bring to the world because of your donation. Now, I don't know what the statistics are, but a large percentage of most nonprofits' budget, as an average, not all of them, is donations. And, that, and it, not the any reservation that you said, but, but, but just globally, there's a huge chunk in the 70s that, that are commonly funded mostly by donations. So we want to stay in touch with those people. That's and then fair. the yeah. grants that we get are purposed to accelerate our work, to build something new, to test out new, new projects. So, Bill, as we um, – this is great. You oh, know, I've enjoyed it. Thank he, you. He came over to my house so we could just, just hang out and uh, do this. And one day he'll have a camera on his computer. 
you know, you got, <laughs> I just I just wanted to come over and check out okay. your house because I'm nosy that way. He's nosy that way. So yeah. you, you like it so far? It's great. Yeah. So Russell, you'll come one day. Um, so it's the House of Hospitality at the Fork of the Road. Exactly. So Bill, what do we want to leave people with? What would you like to a challenge people with, or what's a tip or a piece of thought you want to leave with people as we're ending this really really good interview? Um, gosh, uh, just that. You know, the, always remember that the, the work you're doing is critically important. And on the days when it feels like things are piling up and you feel buried, um, you're making a difference. I mean, I, I, that's, I, I get to jump out of bed every morning and think, wow, you know, what, what can happen today that's going to help the community be a better place to live? And that's incredibly motivating. And don't, don't ever lose sight of that. I mean, that's what we're here for. It's not, you know, yeah, it's about fundraising. It's about giving grants, but really it's not. That's, you know, what we're here for is to um, improve our communities and give people a sense that their, their money is going to help their fellow man and help their community. And, you know, most, the vast majority of people don't give money to foundations for tax purposes or things like that. It's, it's about philanthropy. And uh, so we're helping people feel good and we should feel good about that. Most people don't give money because of donations. It's because they want to make a difference. Yeah. It's, not, it's not for taxes. It's for, it's because it makes them feel good. They do, you. they do it with their heart. I see you smiling, Russell. Yeah. yeah. So Russell, <laughs> thank you again for being here, my friend. Always a pleasure. Yeah. And, and we're here to help people. And if you don't tell them what difference their dollars are making, they'll put them somewhere else. So you stay in touch no matter what the source is. Bill, thanks a million for coming over. Hugh, thanks for making it through a broadcast without the magic phrase. <laughs> thanks, Russell. It's great talking with you. Thank you, Bill. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.